Hello and welcome to the latest of Empire's spoiler podcast. This one devoted to the halfway point in HBO's House of the Dragon. Yes, the prequel series to Game of Thrones that is trying to do for incest what Breaking Bad did for <laughs> cooking meth or something like that. Anyway, um, hello pod, I'm Helen O'Hara and I am joined today by three colleagues of such lethal cunning that they've managed to get away with straight up murdering a dude in the middle of an engagement party. First up is John Lord of the Nuge Nugent, um, known from the wall to Dorn as a deadly man with a review. How are you doing, John? <laughs> Hello. Uh, uh, what did I start last time? Valor Mogulus. <laughs> Valor de Harris. Thank you. Yep. Uh, we also have Dan the Dorn Jolin, who has the magnificent hair of a true Westerosi. Oh, thank you, Helen. <laughs> thank you. Have I ever told you the story about when I actually went to visit the uh, set of Game of Thrones season four? And, and when I got off the plane yeah. and I got in a cab, the cab driver looked at me and said, oh, are you an actor? Because clearly <laughs> I had the look of someone who should belong on the wall or in Winterfell or, or something like that. Do you know what I noticed? When I go home to Northern Ireland now, there are notably more men with big beards and long hair because there's been such a succession of like Game of Thrones and like Vike, Northman and stuff like that shooting mm. in Northern Ireland that everybody and I is just like, why cut it? I could be an extra tomorrow. You don't know. <laughs> Do you think House of the Dragon will inspire lots of bleach blonde, long, straight, half, well, half up, half down do's? Well, because we are also joined by Sophie the Butcher, um, <laughs> who can kill a man stone dead with naught but a scheduled tweet. I think, that, I think that's entirely possible. We may see an uptick in, in mm. peroxide sales yeah, as well. It's, it's got me thinking about reaching for the, for the hair dye, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to get into who has the best and worst wigs uh, at the halfway point uh, as we go. But let's just get a sense of where we are. How are you enjoying the series so far? I'm loving it, actually. Yeah. I am loving ba, 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 it. Ba, ba, I, the thing ba. is, I, the, there's, there's some things I miss about Game of Thrones. So what I miss is a little bit of the texture, a little bit of the tonal difference. I miss the kind of the outsider voices, if you like, though the kind of... The Raya sides of Tyrion, for example, or just the downright, um, the rudeness of Bronn. <laughs> There's a better word for it. But yeah, yeah, that kind of a stuff where it's not just all the nobles having their courtly intrigues. That said, um, I do really like the focus of House of the Dragon. I do actually love the fact that it's mostly based at King's Landing and its environs and it's mostly focused on these few characters, this one family. And 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 the yeah this one dynasty so so yeah and I and 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 I'm really loving uh, the performers as well I'm really loving Paddy Considine as Viserys and Matt Smith as as Daemon and yes uh, Millie Alcock uh, as um, Rhaenyras who's sorry Rhaenyra who's absolutely brilliant and it's going to be a shame that she's not going to be in anymore. <laughs> yeah, so I don't think it's too much of a spoiler. It's been widely reported mm. to say that this is the last episode for Millie and for Emily Carey, who's been playing Alicent up yeah. until now. So we're going to have a bit of a bigger time jump to next week and they're going to be taken over. Um, their roles are going to be taken over by their successors. Uh, John and Sophie, tell me about your feelings at this point in the show. Uh, I'm liking it. I, I, I'm I'm not yet at the stage of loving it, I would say. I mean, you can read all of my feelings in the official Empire review, which is online, uh, which Dan vehemently disagrees with. I gave it three stars. I think Dan might be more in the four-star territory. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it's not over yet, though. It's not over. It's not so over. It could, drop, it could drop to three, who knows? Or it could yes. go up to five. 
that's that was that was the <laughs> so review was. only of the first six episodes. I think I think I've seen the sixth episode, which hasn't aired yet. Yes. Um, but uh, no, I, I like it. I'm very compelled by it. It's an interesting story. I love the world of Westeros. I'm 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 loving this sort of uh, pocket of history being expanded, um, and you know, it's definitely. As with Game of Thrones, I it, it's a kind of show that sends me down rabbit holes into the lore. You know, I'm on the Game of Thrones Wikipedia after every episode now saying, who the hell was that character? And, you know, what is the history behind here? And it's such an expansive universe. Uh, so it's fascinating to, to, to sort of play around in this sandpit. I do have some issues, and I think Dan sort of touched on them there in the, the sort of maybe the lack of texture, the... The, the sprinkle of humor that Game of Thrones had is still a bit lacking and I'm struggling to find a character uh, that I can really latch on to or I can really, I'm, I'm super compelled by in the way that Game of Thrones was. But early days, we shall see. Indeed. How it goes. Sophie. Yeah, agreed. Um, I'm liking it a lot. It feels like event television. Like I get to Sunday night and it's like, I know that the Americans are going to watch it on their Sunday night and I'm really jealous because I have to wait till Monday. <laughs> um, so like every week I'm on it, I'm waiting for the next episode. I'm excited for it to come out. Um, I agree with what the guys said that the it is kind of one note, but it that one note is like one of my favorite bits of what Game of Thrones was. Like the, you're in, like you're all here for like an F shot. All the note, <laughs> all that note. <laughs> yeah. Note. Um, I, you know, like I said in the in the first spoiler special we did for this, I love the Targaryen thread. I wanted to see more of it. I love all the the King's Landing plotting and how it's all about the succession and how it's focused in on that one element. So I do like it. I understand that. Yes, it would be good to have a bit more texture, but I'm okay with that for now. It's not it's not jarring me too much. What did jar me with the first few episodes was the time jumps between them. But I feel like I've kind of settled into that now. But as you're saying, there's a bigger one. Maybe that will kind of unsettle me again but I felt like I'd kind of gotten to grips with um this is very fast moving through time whereas in the first like few breaks I was like that feels a bit weird but yeah I agree I think I'm sad to see Millie Alcock and Emily Carey go but I'm very excited to see Emma Darcy and um Olivia Cook come into it yeah absolutely same here I think the 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 variation in tone that you've all kind of talked about is a really interesting one because I feel like in in Game of Thrones at this point we had the kind of if you like good guys of the Starks, you know, we had a family who actually cared about each other and had sort of conventionally loving relationships rather than whatever's going on with Targaryens. <laughs> and uh, and we also had the kind of the, the Raya sides and the, the sort of outsider's view of Tyrion. And at the moment, we don't really have either of those, I feel like. Yeah. And, and, and I think that is a little bit of a, of a weakness, but that might, that might change going forward. You don't need like identikit Starks or identikit no. Tyrions, no. but I, but it does mm. feel like most of the major characters here are all manoeuvring chess pieces on a board. It's all sort of going towards this, you know, question of succession, or you know, how can I, uh, if not get on the throne, then place a member of my family on the throne, and that I, 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 I don't know that 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 feels somewhat insular. Sometimes you'd you'd like to see more of the the other stuff going on in Westeros. But again, I kind of like the kind of the claustrophobic atmosphere of it almost. You know, it's, it's basically people trapped in a room together. Yeah. And uh, yeah, are they, are they, are they going to sort of figure out how to get on or are they all just going to kill each other? Yeah, and it's like interesting seeing these party like pop up come into play with the question of the air that you wouldn't necessarily think all these 
different families and everyone would have this stake in who it's going to be. But they kind of do because it could be Alison's kid, but it could be uh, Rhaenyra's kid with Lena, or it could be all these different, like, people are thinking, like, two generations ahead. And I don't know, that feels, like, interesting to me because I don't always see it coming, kind of, people's motivations in that area. I absolutely want to get back to that because I think that's really key to the show going forward. But in terms of this lack of other noble houses... I mean, obviously, this is specifically intended always as a House of the Dragon, as the Targaryen show. But is there also an element of the fact that, you know, dragons are the superpower of Westeros? If you have dragons, you have the continent, essentially, if your dragons are all safe and well and big enough, you know. So is there an element of no other house really matters? And we had that line, didn't we, in the very first episode, that the only thing that could bring down the Targaryen line is itself. Yeah, although they, they kind, it's kind of not entirely true because, of course, you've got the Valarians. Okay, but they're um, related and but the ones of those and... who can ride dragons are the children of Targaryens. Mm. So yeah, yeah, but no, it is. It's kind of like yeah, they they've got the they've got the nukes. Yeah, really, they're they are the Soviet Union or the, <laughs> or the United States. Well, they're, the, they're the they're the nineties. US, if you like, yeah, nineties you know, NATO, yeah, um, and that does help yeah. to make it feel like a different age to Game of Thrones, where it did feel like anything was up for grabs. No one's had this like long lineage of time on the throne. This being set in a time where Targaryens have been on the throne for such a long time, they're so strong. No one's going to challenge them. That does help make it feel separate for me. I think, and like in a different era. Mm. Um, I, I had a question written down, which was, are there enough dragons? And actually, one of our mm. readers has, uh, or listeners has sent in the same question, Robear Zero, has, asked, has said that the show has a serious and fatal flaw that no one is really addressing. If you're a Targaryen with the blood of old Valyria, a dragon lord who survived the doom, what in unholy fuck are you doing besides riding a dragon every day? <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> you'd have to peel me out of the saddle with a team of oxen. Now, I think that's a fair point. I don't think that's a fair point, because if you, you think about it, Riding on a dragon's back is kind of the equivalent, I would guess, of, I don't know, dangerous sports, of sky... It's not a safe thing to do. I mean, you know, there, there is there is worry in House Targaryen at various points in its history where, for example, a member of the family goes off on a dragon when they're too young or, you know, they, or they do it unsupervised or they haven't done it properly. So it's kind of like dragons are, uh, can't be just messed around with. You can't just go out and have fun on them like well, Daemon does. You, you can. Know. I mean, they're pair-bonded from birth. So once you're you and your dragon are kind of old enough, you kind but, of could. There's also wild dragons as well in this in in this world. There's a few the few rogue dragons which haven't really come up yet. Um, I'm not sure there are rogues at this point. I think there might be. I feel like but anyway. I would, anyway, yeah, I would like to see more dragon action. I feel like from the first and second episode, it kind of promised that that they would be very present throughout, and they kind of haven't been in the last couple. But I also quite like that, as you say, they're like a thing to be taken seriously in that they don't use them unless they have to use them, but people still won't mess with them because they know that they can. That they can. Yeah. It's Is it the second episode, I think, where Renera uh, flies the dragon in? Uh, there's like a standoff with mm-hmm. Damon. Um, yeah. And, and there, is a, there is a moment where... I think it's that episode where the, someone says to her, you know, you shouldn't be out. It's too dangerous for you. Yeah. Especially if you are... You know, in in first in line for the throne, you know it's your very your 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 high value target kind of thing. But isn't that more? Yeah, she's a target, not you know, she's it's dangerous to be on her dragon. 
Yeah, I suppose. But it's a risk. I mean, you're flying about in, you know, <laughs> uh, incredible speeds. Like, you could fall <laughs> off. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not without its dangers. Yeah, it's not something that Viserys would want his heir mm. to be. Well, look at your pissing on my dragon riding chips. <laughs> I don't know. I want to see more dragons. I agree. Viserys and dragons is interesting, isn't it? Cause, so he was famously, and it's been mentioned in the show, but it's, it's also talked about in the book. He was the last rider of Black Balerion, the biggest dragon ever to live in Westeros, right? Um, uh, it's the one whose uh, whose skull you see mm. under the Red Keep in, in later episodes. But he was the last rider. So he basically rode Black Balerion just before he died when he was a bit old and past it. And now there's an element of him almost being kind of unmanned or emasculated without his dragon, mm. I feel like, which they're kind of, is kind of an undercurrent but to it, me going through things. Again, and also it, it kind of comes back to that little bit at the at the uh, end of episode, well, towards the end of episode five, where he's saying to, to his new hand, um, you know, will I be seen as a good king? And mm. I, I haven't been tested. Yeah, you know, there's and and actually, what he doesn't. The irony there is he's totally being tested the entire time, and he's usually making all the worst decisions. But you know, he he, he believe that that's that thing. You know, he's not sort of like whatever being. You know, he's he's, he's not had his baptism of fire of dragon fire, mm. um, which which yeah, that must really sort of like you know nag at him as well. But he could have taken another dragon, I think. I mean, theoretically, he could have maybe. Theoretically, maybe, but uh, you know, no, no real sign of it, is there? So it's uh, I, I, well, yeah. I, mean, I don't think it's going to happen. Let's talk about uh, Viserys for a minute because I think we can talk about him fairly quickly and probably get him out of the way. But um, you know, this, this idea of him failing his tests is interesting, and also there's the idea running through the show. He's obsessed with this prophecy. Yeah. of what's going to happen in events we've already seen <laughs> in Game of Thrones. What do you think about that? In terms of the prophecy itself, yeah. In terms of the, I mean, I think it's a connective thread. Obviously, that they've rather deliberately made sure is in there to to really ram home the fact that the events that happen here are going to kind of be important to what's going to come later, as opposed to this is just a random other event in in the history. Although personally, I would have been happy if it was just another event in the history. Yeah, like they they didn't have that bit at the beginning of the first episode where it said 170 years before Daenerys. But um, but also I kind of I also I do like the almost like the the psychological foreshadowing of everyone had this problem with Daenerys turning bad at the end of Game of Thrones, like suddenly turning bad at the end of Game of Thrones, and it's almost like well actually have a look at the people she's <laughs> descended from here. It's providing you know. a lot of context for we, that, isn't it? <laughs> she's not she you know that that apple didn't really have to fall far from that tree to be the way to be the way that she was. And also, it's the only real sort of hint of like the supernatural, apart from the dragons, because of course there's no White Walkers in this. You know, there's no, well, there's no, yeah, there's no Melisandre. Mm. Uh, you know, there's no other magical stuff going on. So it's the closest we've got is the fact that there is this true prophecy that that he's had, but it gives a sense of the the, the weight of the responsibility that Targaryens feel. It's not just about holding power and having the biggest, baddest dragon. It's about well, look this whole world is going to be in trouble if there's not a Targaryen on the throne when this shit goes down. Bit self-serving, I think. <laughs> How about you guys? I, I mean, I like, I like that that is sort of one of his key drivers, his key motivators is this sort of sense of duty that he has the weight of history on his shoulders, um, which, is, uh, which is a really interesting wrinkle. And uh, I think Paddy Constantine plays it really well. It's it's very interesting what they do to his character, I think, over these episodes, because uh, maybe apart from the people who get recast, he is the most sort of visible, has the most visible changes 
um, and you see his age uh, very visibly and you will even more in the next episode naturally as it's a 10 year I think gap between episodes five and six and yeah I mean you know his age is an is obviously an important narrative hook on which the whole series rests it's it's his death is sort of this thing the looming we know it's going to come we don't know when but um he could live to 96 he could he could (laughs) live a ripe old age but you know once he dies that's we assume some form of shit is going to go down (laughs) um so westeros no (laughs) never so it's very it's it's I, I almost like whenever I see his aging makeup, I get it quite excited. Like, oh, oh, when's he going to go? You know, <laughs> um, yeah. I, and I, I do think Paddy Constantine uh, is very good. I, I was sort of a bit um, unsure about his performance to begin with. I wasn't, no. wasn't quite like, well, we talked about this in the last pod, didn't we? Like, he, he doesn't, he almost plays it like a Stark rather than a, it's just, it takes a bit of calibration to see this sort of warm, affable, East Midlands man in, as a Targaryen, you know, you, you don't expect to see Targaryens uh, in this mode, perhaps. Um, and I think I've got, I've got my head around it now. Uh, yeah, he's. I think he's very good. I think he's warm, yeah. but maybe weak. Yes, mm, and that's coming across more and more. And his obsession with the prophecy and his air and his air's air. Um, I think it's all, it's all they're all it's always about them looking forward, but then. He's kind of not seeing what's happening to him right now, like what's playing out right now between Rhaenyra and Damon and everyone else. And I think that's sort of forward-looking. They're so concerned with having a Targaryen on the throne when the prophecy happens that they don't think they could be thwarted by something long before then. <laughs> Got the priorities kind of in the wrong place sometimes, I think. Mm. But it's not a publicly known prophecy. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's kind of like the secret prophecy of the Targaryens. So it's, it's almost like it would, might it be useful to let everyone know <laughs> and use it as propaganda, actually? I feel like it might be helpful, yeah, absolutely, as propaganda. Yeah. Also, just within the fa- the family, you know, even leaving aside, you know, obvious kind of betrayals and, and schemes and plots and everything else, in the Targaryen family already, there have been unexpected successions where people have died suddenly even before this point in in the history. Mm. So why wouldn't you ensure that the prophecy is passed on by telling essentially the entire family? Mm, more than just the next direct heir. I mean, this is one of the problems I have with that whole edition, because that's not really in the book, this whole prof- idea of the prophecy. No, it isn't, no. It, it feels at times like this is, well, maybe see if you agree, I'll let me phrase it as a question. Do you feel at times that this show is overly concerned with reminding you it's it comes from that show you like and that it is overly slavish to the aesthetic the tone and the and especially even the theme tune of the, game of thrones the theme tune did annoy me a bit i mean i can't believe i'm saying that because it's actually one of my favorite theme tunes for a tv show ever but when episode two came on and i was just like oh, what are they going to do with the music what's the what's the opening credits again oh well, they're just, mm. just it's the same, but and not even li- really much of a remix. No, as far no, as no I can they, tell. They could, but I thought they were going to maybe take like Daenerys's theme or something like that and do something with. Well, I say, I say they, I mean Ramin, uh, Ramin uh, Um But um, and I, I wonder if I wonder how happy he was to just get the same theme played again. You know, I wonder if he'd been working on something else. And HBO went, you know what? <laughs> let's let's just stick with what we know. So I think that that was that was that was disappointing. That aside, I I don't know. I'm not feeling it too much. 
Honestly, I'm not feeling it too much. No, I don't think I am either. I, again, was disappointed by the theme tune. Even in this episode five, the music that they play at the feast thing at the end when they're dancing feels like very Targaryen, like these drums and stuff like that. And it was like, this could have been so cool if they just made their own theme tune that felt more Targaryen specifically. Because you have felt that in the score throughout the show. But yeah, on a general, I mean, that the prophecy thing does feel kind of crowbarred in a little bit to make you think about the connection. But on a general note, I just feel like comfortable to be in the Game of Thrones world and I like that world and I like being it. That's why I'm so keen to watch each episode. But I'm not thinking about it on a scene-to-scene basis, like how does this connect or anything like that. It's not sticking with me that much. I mean, there are certainly it's certainly hitting the beats that the original show hits. Uh, there are some familiarities, even if it's not a direct connection. I mean, you know, the dragons, you know, blowing shit up, that's... That's familiar. There's there's orgies. That's familiar. Um, the most recent episode had a wedding that didn't quite wrong. go to plan. Yeah. That's Technic- technically not a wedding. No, not the wedding. It was yet. at the very end. Well, but, but they the, did the, rush the wedding after. Yeah, that's true. Actually, they so did. It they did. It didn't technically. It turned into a yeah. fair enough. All right, I retract my statement. <laughs> but yes, I mean it's 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 certainly very Game of Thronesy. Um, but it's not in a in a so much in a way that is giving me too much. I, I think it all sort of seems to fit the, the narrative that it's telling, I think. Yeah. yeah. And I guess it's got time to find its own, you know, uniqueness a little mm. bit more as it goes, having hopefully yeah. established the same kind of audience enthusiasm that Game of Thrones always had. Yeah. Mm. It, actually, I think it almost feels, maybe I'm, maybe this analogy will fall apart as I voice it. <laughs> bring it, bring it. It's, it's great when right. you realise that before you've even yeah. said it. <laughs> but it almost feels like what Better Call Saul is to Breaking Bad in that it's, it is, it, they're all, there are the connections, you've got the connections, but it, it's its own thing and actually it moves, it's more focused and it moves at a slower pace mm. over a longer period of time. And, and a lot of people that, that, I mean, I say a lot of people, there are people that I know who are major fans of Breaking Bad who just couldn't stick with Better Call Saul. Like, it was just like, yeah, it was just too slow. It didn't go anywhere quick enough for me. And I kind of, even though you got these, I suppose it's kind of ironic, even though you've got these jumps forward in time, it does feel like, you know, there's, there's relatively much less incident mm. happening. So it feels kind of like that in the sense that I think it's it's slower and maybe a bit tougher, but I think ultimately could be more rewarding in the same way that Better Call Saul ultimately was. Mm. I I mean, th- there might be something to that analogy. I I definitely took me a couple of goes with Better Call Saul. I watched the first three episodes and then didn't return for maybe six years or something. And eventually, so you thought it was three stars, is what you're saying? No, no. <laughs> if you'll allow me to finish, I I stuck with it. I watched the whole thing. Thought it was incredible. Probably better than than Breaking Bad. Right. I I don't. I think the analogy doesn't quite hold because I don't think House of the Dragon is as good as Best Call Saul. But um, <laughs> that's that's by the by. Uh, okay, at risk of sounding like a Better Call Saul spoiler special, which is available, of course, in your podcast channel. Do go and have a listen to that. Um, but yeah, I think hopefully, hopefully this does as well and gets the kind of plaudits that Better Call Saul well didn't win at the Emmys last week, but hopefully will next time. Outrageous. Let, there is a, another question that's that's similar and, and to, to something you just said, which is from um, Emma Jensen at Vladiema. Um, how do the time jumps work for you? I have a hard time connecting to any of the characters because of it, and some actions seem out of the blue because we're missing the connective tissue. For example, between Rhaenyra and Alicent's relationship. Is that, I mean, I, 
no spoilers, but I think the time jumps are going to, you know, reduce a bit mm. in the near future. Maybe not this next episode, but, you know, a few episodes down the line, certainly season two, if there is one, which there definitely will be, I think it's going to be a little bit more moment to moment. But how are you feeling about the time jumps? Is that a big alienating factor? I, it hasn't been an issue for me. I I think it's quite interesting as a as a sort of storytelling device, actually. And, you know, we can talk about the five to six time jump in a future episode. But uh, what I would say is that that really worked for me. I, th- I think that actually gave the series a bit of a shot in the arm. It gives things different dimensions. Um, it, it, it's, it puts characters in different situations and it, it keeps the show sort of nimble and surprising, I think, um, in a way that maybe Game of Thrones wasn't. Uh, I mean, Game of Thrones had its own unique uh, relationship with time sometimes, <laughs> didn't it? Um, well, look, those ravens just flew really fast, okay? <laughs> but, you, know, you never worked out the timescale of Game of Thrones either because obviously you've got certain characters are obviously aging in real time. Yeah. So it's almost like you think that the show happens over the same time span. Mm. That happened in the real world while it was airing. And yeah, actually, isn't it like only a couple of years or even less than that, perhaps? Um, uh, yeah, that's I've never got you, my head around it. If you cast children, I guess you, 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 that, <laughs> they that, grow up so fast. They do grow up. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, that's but, been, that's been one of George R. R. Martin's problems in completing the series, hasn't it? Is is that you know he has to give the children time to grow up, but then he suddenly realised that not everyone else would stand still during that time, <laughs> and he'd have to come up with stuff that would happen to them, and and it. He's writing it in it real time. It broke him. It broke him, <laughs> I think. Yeah. yeah. Like, like I mentioned before, I did find the time jumps a little bit jarring, mostly just because it feels like where we leave off at the end of episodes, it feels like I want to know what happened right after that. And I don't get to know because it moves six months or a year or it feels like there's stuff that we're missing. But obviously, they're choosing to tell the story in the way they're choosing to tell it. And they're highlighting specific points. So you kind of have to just go with what they want. But it just feels like we're missing out on important stuff. But I don't know exactly what that stuff is. And then it f- sometimes feels harder to sort of relate to um, the depth of the characters' relationships towards each other because it's getting skipped over so quickly, especially in those first few episodes. I assume, like you mentioned, once um, Emma Darcy and Olivia Cook come into it, it's got to slow down, right? Because... Yeah, or once Viserys dies, I don't know. You would assume that it's got to slow down because he dies. Well, I'm guessing so. He he doesn't look good, Helen, in that last episode. Um, like you say, he, more he is, coughed. Yeah, right? he did. When cough. a character coughs, that's it. Coughs, it's not a spoiler. Leeches. It's not a spoiler to say they're going to die. It's like a lot if, of coughing. Actually, if a woman throws up, she's definitely pregnant. Yeah, mm. <laughs> <laughs> it does move at a breakneck uh, speed. These first few episodes, and you do. I mean, I've seen a few bits of like consternation on the internet from people who wanted more from the crab feeder. Mm. Oh, um, that really <laughs> And that, that whole I really didn't like that yeah. how that that was such an anticlimax right. I thought. The, 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 they built him up as such a menace. Exactly. I think I think that that strand of of story was maybe wrapped up quite mm. quite rapidly. Yeah, because it's two years in world, but right. we've seen zero of that two years, essentially. Yeah, we haven't seen any... We got the hint of how scary and horrible he was, and then you think this big battle's going to happen, and then, oh, Damon comes out with his head and he's killed him, and that was, well, 
He didn't seem that scary. He just took Damon <laughs> by himself. He went in the cave and he killed him. I don't know. I really didn't like that because it felt like he was building up as some sort of prime, you know, a, a main villain or something, a force that would continue to hamper them mm. in the long run. And then it was. I don't think he even had any close. dialogue, did he? No, he, no, he just looked he around. Just sort yeah. of looked looked like a wrong and. I mean, well, I mean, the the, the 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 show does do that problematic thing again of of the facial disfigurement facial as a villain, which I villainy, yeah. don't like. And no. that was like all there was to his character. Mm. So yeah, that that thread I wasn't a fan of. I have to say. What did you think though of the action scenes there? Yeah, cool. I mean, uh, you know, m- many people have pointed out that Damon was able to do what uh, Rickon Stark wasn't by running in zigzags and thus avoiding. <laughs> The fire of of bow and arrows, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Matt Smith is great and stuff like that, isn't he? He's such a sort of, he's such an alpha in moments mm. like that. He just really, he, I totally believe that he could take on like an entire army by himself. M- me too, especially considering as that army strategy was to run at him one at a time. <laughs> this was the thing that I, I, annoyed you know, me. If I honestly, if I was running at Damon Targaryen and I noticed I was ahead of the guys behind me, <laughs> I just slow down a little bit. Not to get behind them, just no. to make sure that maybe three or four of us arrived at him at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that happens in like all action sequences. There's an element of that happens. But it felt so obvious in that one that I was really like, they're just running at him one at a time. Yeah. And so that affected my love for that sequence a little bit. And then it felt like it was building up to him going after the crab feeder and then it just kind of ended. And I was like, yeah, okay. I mean, he did, but yeah, you just didn't see yeah. any of it. Yeah. I guess he he is meant to be good with the blade, and he is he is armed with Valyrian steel, which none of the rest of them are. Dark sister, dark sister specifically, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't. Yeah, you're right. It didn't seem particularly. It, it felt like there was more there that they maybe just ended up not shooting, or did shoot but found too long, or something. Mm. It did feel like there could have been a bit more wiggle room with that one. At least we saw more of the battle than the big battle in the first series of um, hmm. Game of Thrones. That's true. Nobody yeah. got knocked on the head and just knocked out for the entire duration. And we did see dragons, you know, like fricasseying people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, but, it's but, a but, cool D- Damon scene, but it's not my favourite. It's not where I'm loving seeing Damon. Yeah. So tell me, where do you love seeing Damon? Because we have just a question here about from... Um, causing chaos. <laughs> from Patrick McKee at Pat... Max76 asks, is Damon more than he seems, i.e. a potential part good guy, or is it my Doctor Who bias? Um, he, <laughs> he wants to know which question. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I do I don't think he's a good guy in any sense of the... Uh... He re- I've, I'm really enjoying people on the internet being like, what am I going to log on and defend Damon Targaryen for today? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, with this episode where he kills his wife at the beginning, it's like, oh... Damon, you've maybe pushed it a little too far if I mean, the incest wasn't far enough. Um, but I just kind of love him as an agent of chaos and the way he just keeps striding into the Red Keep even though I'm pretty sure he's supposed to be banished. His name is Damon. I mean, it's yeah. one letter away from demon. I mean, <laughs> the, the clues are there. But I, 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 I do think... It's one think... letter away from, away from Damon. That's also true. It's <laughs> <laughs> even worse. Uh, or a... Never mind. Um, uh, yeah, I think he is a bit more interesting than... We talked about this on the last episode, I think. Like, uh, there, you know, you could compare him to, say, Joffrey, who is an irredeemable. Oh, he's bastard. not an irredeemable shit. He's, like I don't was. think he's but totally. Is he, is he a Jamie Lannister? I, yeah, that feels on, closer. On the to spectrum, me. I think there's Joffrey right at the end, and then there's <laughs> Jamie Lannister sort of in the middle. I think maybe he's somewhere between. 
Jamie and Joffrey, I, I would say, because I think three there is... Three quarters of a villain. <laughs> three quarters of a villain. There, is, there are glimmers of humanity to him. I, I think he is someone who does care about family a bit. You can sort of see that he, he does want to be welcomed into the fold even as much as he wants to destroy it. Um, I can't say anything about season, episode six, but I think you get some more of that texture as well. I think he's slightly, I think as the series goes on, he will be rounded out as a character in, in quite interesting ways. Yeah, I, I think, I, I think there are, I, I get hints of like, you know, empathy towards him, but only in the sense that it shows that he's actually weaker than he likes to make out. In the sense that we're sort of like, we're seeing he's, he's actually quite a pathetic individual when you get under the surface. Uh, and there was, there was, there was a big hint of that in the very first episode. I won't spend too much time on it, but when he loses his his uh, duel with uh, Kristen, so Kristen mm. Cole, um, and you know you can just like the look on his face is is almost just like oh, you know like he he just can't quite believe that he's in this position. But at the same time, this then beneath that is almost like uh, but this is who I am. I'm I'm the one who doesn't quite make who doesn't quite succeed. The nearly guy. Yeah, uh, and I and I and I think that. I think that gets him quite a lot. And actually, funnily enough, it was almost like a, a parallel with Prince Philip in The Crown uh, in those first few seasons. It's, it's like you can kind of see why it works as Matt Smith mm. as the guy that should be the most sort of like the patriarch of the family and the one, you know, like, uh, can I be king? No, no, I can't be king. I'm not allowed to be king. You know, it's sort of like, for want of a better word, sort of a process of emasculation going on. Mm. Um, but I don't, I don't think Damon's ever going to go full sort of like Jamie by the end. Oh, actually, he's a bit of a hero. Well, Jamie, of course, went back to being a dickhead, mm. if you remember, in the, mm. in the last episode, and one of the worst character decisions I think I've ever seen. So, you know, sorry. I, I maybe <laughs> I've blocked that, that out a little bit, but, uh, but yeah. yeah I, I don't remember what Jamie did in the end. What, what, what? Well, he died with Cersei He went back end. to Cersei. Oh, he went back to Cersei. Yes, he? that's dickhead. right. He went Death by bricks mm. falling on death by bricks yeah <laughs> it's well, not one of the best deaths i think matt smith's performance is one of the best performances on show um i think he's having a great time and yeah i think that kind of petulance like he'll act out like when he took the egg but then it doesn't really take that much for him to give it back it's just exactly, exactly. You're turning up. Like, he, he will like he'll sort of um bristle when it's otto who comes and asks but and, you know, he obviously has a kind of weird weakness for Rhaenyra or whatever. But, yeah, it's kind of like acting out and then can't see it through. Even when he takes Rhaenyra on the trip to the brothel or whatever in episode four, right, whatever it yeah. was, like he almost goes all the way and you think, oh, God, but then he doesn't. He, so, yeah, that's an interesting way to look at but it. But in some respects, he does seem to have a clearer idea of their place in the world than some of the rest of the family, which I think is interesting, sometimes rather than Viserys. He has, he has a better idea of... Otto, I think, mm. that we maybe give him credit for. Yeah, yeah. But then, is Otto doing anything that bad? I mean, obviously, he's got his own ambitions and his ambitions for his family, and it's clear what he was doing, you know, pushing his daughter into the room with Viserys, going, go and talk to the king. I mean, mm. you know, that, that, that was quite, quite clear. But then, if you look at it from another perspective, so, okay, clearly... Rhaenyra being the queen is not a terrible thing because, of course, queens are totally fine. But Thanks, when yes, <laughs> I know, I, like that's how that's us looking at it. But if you're, you know, your average completely sexist dickhead Westerosi noble, you really can't deal with the idea of there being a queen. So it means that if there is a queen, 
you're going to have problems. It's going to create problems. So obviously, what Otto's, you know, what he's doing, he's he's got, he's kind of like um, uh, Varys in 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 you know the the the. the in Game of Thrones, to some degree, you know who who do you support? Who are you behind? You know, I support the realm. Mm. Um, so okay, yeah, he's a little self-interested, but I do actually genuinely think that Otto's more of a wants what's best for the realm kind of a guy, as opposed to wants what's best for these spoiled brat Targaryens. Mm. Mm. That's probably fair. Yes, it's about as fair as I can be. <laughs> it's so weird seeing Reese Evans playing that kind of a part, though. I, I keep expecting very, him like, to sort of goof off and, and you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> expect him to what? Like appear on his doorstep in his pants. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, walking been, around in his pants. It's been quite a long time since <laughs> I know, but even so, that's just kind of like that's what you associate Reese Evans with. And 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 he's that kind of a personality in, in, in real life as well. Apparently he was doing quite a lot of goofy stuff between takes and winding everyone up and making people laugh and what have you. And which is really funny when you consider that character, who that character is. So, um, I know, actors, how do they do it? It's crazy, right? <laughs> Acting. Let's uh, d- talk a little bit more about the King's Council. Um, we also have, obviously, Corliss Valarian. I feel like after a really strong first episode, he's been a little bit pushed into the background. Well, he was. Ones. Yeah, well, literally. He yeah. was by Viserys, yeah. Yeah, I would like to see more from him. I think Steve Toussaint is a great actor, and uh, uh, that that family is very interesting. There's sort of, you know, this ancient tie to, to the Targaryens, but... Um, but they are they are sort of uh, slightly weaker, and I think uh, yeah, him and and the 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 queen. The, what was her name? The queen that never Rhaenys. was queen. Yeah, Rain uh, Rainus. Yeah. I think I think they're they're like as far as all of the you know power brokers of Westeros. They are they are certainly the most interesting. I don't know the full history. I'm, I think I think you do, Helen. But mm. I'm very interested to see yeah where they sort of end up on the chessboard. Um, as well, I mean, this on. is the thing, isn't it? You think of all the great houses that are in Game of Thrones, Hightower and mm-hmm. um, and uh, Velaryon that's, aren't that's two true. of them. No, that's very true. Mm. Hightower exists, doesn't it, in Game of Thrones? It's just not major. I couldn't tell you when they're mentioned. No, same. I mean, we 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 don't get to Old Town till very late on, but they're not the presence in court. They're not a big presence. No, they're not. They're certainly not one of the you know. They're not putting forward one of the kings that's going to fight or anything. Which is, this is true of many of the big houses here. The Strongs, I think, have a very strong, if you'll forgive me, mm. uh, showing, especially this last couple of episodes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, and they're going to be gone. And they're going to be gone. Strong gone. Is yeah. Strong the house of the new hand? Yeah, so that's Lord Lionel. But his sons are both in it now. So Harwin is the one who stops uh, Rhaenyra where she's Goes and going through her. the... Where, no, when, when she's... When she's running away from Damon in on their night out, and she bumps into a guy, that's Harwin, and then he lets her go because she tells him to. Mm. And Lord Laris is the clubfoot. Yes. And he has a very good scene with Alison this episode. Yeah. And he's he's important. Although I struggled to believe that he was um, the Han's son because they don't look that different. They do in look age. about the same age, but let's assume he married young because it's Westeros. And it was, he, and that was confusing he's... me. Yeah, he's not very well, is he? No, I he's know. Not, he's, he's obviously, you know, he, has, he doesn't get much exercise because mm. of his foot. Yeah, Because of his fair. condition. Um, yeah, he's kind of an interesting presence as the hand, but through this episode, whilst he was the hand, I was just wanting Otto back, I think. I was like, you're just not as good a hand, are you? <laughs> he, hasn't, he hasn't got a good as voice as, I think Otto's sort mm. of, 
very uh, almost schoolmasterly voice. It's mm-hmm. just oh, I love it. But yeah, Laris, I, I'm very interested to. I, he's one of the sort of schemers mm. that you see a lot in Game of Thrones. And you, up until we meet him, you haven't really seen anyone like that. You know, a the sort of whisperers. Um, so I would like to see more from him, um, and I'd like to see him possibly, you know, ruining people's days. Wow, uh, <laughs> you monster! It's just fun to watch, you know. I yeah. want to see more of the White Worm. The White Worm. Yeah. Tell us more. Um, oh gosh! Right. So it's Sonoya Mizuno mm. is, is the actor, and I'm just trying to remember the actual character's name because I'm so used to. Isn't it Missaria? Missaria. Thank you. Thank you. So she, we see her in 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 token sex scene in the first episode mm. with with Damon. She's and then she's with him when when he announces he's going to marry her, except he's not really. Yeah. The third time we see her, she's changed quite a lot. She's like suddenly yeah. she's basically now she is the Faris. So she's like the master of whispers uh, uh, now to Otto because she's the one that picks up Damon after his binge. Mm. And so uh, again, I think she's really interesting, and I like to see a lot more of her because I think obviously you've got these these two great women characters at the heart of the story but then she's another one mm. but who's really involved in the courtly intrigues who I'm, I'm hoping John don't say anything but I'm hoping from six onwards her role is going to get really cemented in that sense and she won't just sort of turn up from time to time talking in a Outrageous accent. Yeah, it's bad accent. <laughs> what is that accent? Because she's, she's a British actor, right? I, 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 I couldn't like place it anytime. I think that's deliberate. I think it's meant to just sound yeah. terribly Terribly interesting. And well, she's away. she's from Lys, I <laughs> think, in the uh, in, in in the tears of yes, in the book, <laughs> she's from Lys, but I don't know if that's if that's where she's from in this version. Hmm. But there you go. So it's a Lysian. Just before we get accent. on to back to the women who are the leads, um, uh, I feel like we haven't seen nearly enough of Grey McTavish as <laughs> the King in like the Kingsguard as Dwelling. Just, he's just there, but he's not really, you know, getting to do anything. We're getting a lot more, if we're talking Kingsguard stakes, it feels like Sir Kristen Cole has been the one most focused on of late. Mm. Most recently, because he straight up murdered a dude. Or did mm. he? Discuss. Joffrey, yeah. Night of Kisses. <laughs> Night of Kisses. Yeah, I mean, he's an interesting one, isn't he? Because he's uh, slightly torn between duty and uh, his... His pants, yeah. the, the the feeling in his pants. Um, <laughs> oh, what is that, John? <laughs> Tell me about that. I've never felt it. Please don't. Oh God, we HR. Don't time. We don't have time. Dan. HR. Uh, yeah, he he is. Uh, I, I I don't really know what to say because yeah, in the next episode he plays a very interesting role as well. Would you stop I'm this with all to... this next episode? I'm sorry, stuff. I'm just trying to. Honestly. Sound cool that I've seen episode yeah. six. Um, <laughs> well, after next week, you'll just be like the rest of us, scum. Yeah, I will. I will. I'll be down, <laughs> down in the gutters well, with you. We can say from the end of this episode, it appears that Queen Alicent intervenes. He's about to, I don't know, yeah. um, basically uh, kill himself. Yeah. And, um, and she intervenes to stop him. We might suppose from that that she also intervenes to keep him from being sent to the wall or something. And argues it was a moment of madness or your manslaughter if you will rather than murder so it's not unreasonable to think he might still be around she's got i definitely think she has got a plan for him and and i think we're going to see quite quickly what that was mm. and um, it's a it's quite a powerful ally to make alicent mm. you know that is um 
that is setting the stage for some, uh, yeah, some very powerful conflicts. Well, let's talk about her power because, you know, a lot of these first episodes, she hasn't been that powerful. She has been moving among the powerful, but not necessarily powerful herself. Maybe so. It was Mm. very cool to see her make a stand in this episode, um, in the most recent episode, make some moves with Kristen. And that entrance was so satisfying and she's wearing green and that's like the declaring war, right? He said their colour. Um, and then just leaving the table and stuff. So that that almost made me more sad to know that Emily Carey's not coming back because I think she was great in this episode. Um, I think this was Alison's best ep yet. Yeah. And Fas- that- fashion as politics. Mm. Yes. Yeah. This is what... Um, is quite good about the time jumps, I think, and because it's, you can show character development at a at a sort of vast scale. If when you first meet Alison, she is this sort of timid mouse, um, you know, she's scared of her own shadow kind of thing. And 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 by the end of these sets of episodes, she's really, you know, growing into this role as as a as a member of the royal household and really understanding, you know, what, what her place is and trying to use her voice. Um, and yeah, sorry to you know again. Oh. God. Show off my <laughs> my episode six knowledge, but yeah, you really see that when uh, Olivia Cook takes over the role. I think uh, you're, you're just like Viserys Targaryen with his prophecy, <laughs> like, oh, I know what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, the episode that was promised. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 yes, I think she's good. And I think um, the way that her relationship with Rhaenyra is sort of splintering off, like as Rhaenyra had her outing with Damon and all that stuff that happened, that's really just driven even an even bigger wedge between them than Alicent marrying Viserys seemed to. And like, she's sort of really realizing like, Rhaenyra's kind of like taking the reins and taking control of what's happening to her and I'm not. I'm just letting stuff happen to me. And so I think that's maybe part of the turning point for her in this recent episode. And there's an element of feeling lied to by Rhaenyra, like getting yeah. absolutely furious at the idea that Rhaenyra swore to her something which was a lie, which technically it kind of wasn't question was whether she had sex with Damon, Damon. And as far as we know that didn't happen yeah um but she still gets I mean absolutely furious with her what about Renera then because you know end of episode one she's named the heir whoopsie do everything's fabulous and now she seems like an outsider at her own court yeah because she's not a political animal in the same way that Alison has is turning into right right so Alison's kind of mastering it in terms of how to play people and manipulate and, and all that business Whereas Rhaenyra is more just kind of like force of will, you know, kind of a person. She's just, she's just like, no, this is who I am. And, you know, she okay, she kind of, whatever, she agrees, right, fine, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to marry this guy. But for her, it's the best. Actually, that's a good scenario, right? Yeah. That works on her terms. Yeah. Because he's not interested in me, really. I'm not interested in him. So that's all good. And then the problem is, is when Kristen doesn't do what she wants Kristen to do to fit that scenario and... You know, and then it all goes bloodily wrong. Um, but yeah, no, so she's more kind of, you know, that more in the classic Targaryen mold of everyone must bend to my way of doing things without me, you know, just through the force of my will, whereas Alison's more of a, you know, a player yeah. of the game, and if I guess you like. And yeah. had that sort of privilege and comfort of being a Targaryen, being in the core of things. Mm. She's not having to fight for her place. She's having to, she's, she's got fights. She's got... She, yeah, battles she, yeah. to fight for sure but not in the same way that Alison does I think to kind of stake her claim on things but then that's weird to me because in that first episode or two you did see a, an element of manipulation and 
politicking on Rhaenyra's part. Mm. You did see her, you know, having the presence of mind, for example, to ask which egg Damon had taken, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And then that drove Viserys mad when he found out that Damon had taken the, the, the egg that had been earmarked for his, his son. Yeah. So she, she, she could politic. And I find it odd that she hasn't mm. in the last episode or two. Mm. Yeah, she's not. Yeah, by no means. I think they're both, you know, in terms of intellect, they're on the same level, mm. and, you know, in terms of smarts, but just they're very different personalities. And, and then, yeah, you've kind of got that weird things. On the one hand, yes, I'm a Targaryen and this must come to me. But then on the other hand, I'm a female Targaryen mm. and I'm in a position which no female Targaryen's ever been in, which is being named as the heir. And, and people don't like that, mm. you know? So, so in that sense, there is that still that outsiderness to her, uh, which is interesting. I think uh, Miguel Sapochnik described it to me as Alison is uh, women for Trump. Yeah, I was going to mention this. This is such and, a good quote. And sh- and Rhaenyra's punk rock. Yeah. I, I think, keep thinking about I think that. Quite, As yeah. I'm watching the show, I'm genuinely thinking about that, Dan, from your piece. I'm like, yeah. Rhaenyra's punk rock. I can like yeah. just see it happening between them. I think that was a really great way to sum it up. Yeah, although, although to be honest, when he said it, I went, oh, that's, that's, that's a good quote. I'm using that. <laughs> and then I, went, I started thinking about it. And I went, but what does he actually mean? <laughs> yeah, fair. What does that actually mean? And I guess we've just got to watch this entire season to, mm. to, to maybe see what he means. But, um, but yeah, I thought that was, you know, it's, it's, it's just really interesting. They're both brilliant. So they are both, you know, brilliant women, great sort of political creatures, but in very, very different ways. Mm. And, you know, one of them's going to smash things. And the other one's going to, I don't know, mould things, mm. perhaps. What was the quote? Alison is women for Trump. Yeah. As in, like, just female supporters of Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> or, or Melania, perhaps. <laughs> I don't, yeah, maybe, I don't think he meant it as a terrible, terrible insult. Okay. I mean, I would, I mean, I'd be insulted. But, yeah. um, but no, I don't think he meant it that way. I just think, I think he meant in terms of how they come at the political situation. Right. Anyway. No. Let's talk about what you think, uh, what you're expecting going forward. And I'm going to ask Dan and Sophie about this, John, <laughs> because you and I have seen episode six and we know... Oh, you've seen things. it? Well, yes, but I don't... I don't. No. Helen, can, Helen can keep her mouth shut. You yes. can keep him quiet. So you're Alison and John's Rhaenyra. I, lo- I see. Right, I've got it. I've got it. There's, there's, yeah. But what do you guys uh, think is, you know, what are you guys expecting from the rest of the season? Well, I, I have read the book... Right. Yes, as have I. So, so we also know that. I'm the only so, one fully in the dark. <laughs> so I'm I'm going to stay quiet while Sophie answers first. What am I expecting? I'm expecting Rhaenyra and Alicent to clash even more because they're kind of separate strands of where the succession could go, depending on what like different lines. And I think that will come into play. I'm very intrigued to see what happens with Rhaenyra and Damon because it's all very strange and yet very compelling (laughs) Um, and like how that will progress I'm really interested by Kristen Cole I think he's a really until he murdered someone brutally at the end I think he was one of the more relatable characters that you can latch on to and this episode was really interesting seeing him sort of offering Rhaenyra this life and she was never going to take it and seeing him kind of break out of that kind of good guy role that he was sort of in a little bit so I'm intrigued to see like does he play along if he stays around it looks like he stays around in court does he play along with what Rhaenyra had in mind 
does he go against it? How does it develop with Alison? But I'm kind of in the dark. I haven't read the book. I haven't watched any of the preview episodes. But I'm very excited. To see what happens. All right. I think it's all going to go to shit in the most spectacular <laughs> way. I mean, it's. That, I think that's a fair guess, just because it's Westeros. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just but, let let's have a uh, let's have a clearing of the decks. What are your biggest quibbles with the show's first five episodes? Can I can I go first? Because I have sure. some quibbles. Okay. So first of all, I think that the dress didn't hit as hard as it should have done because they hadn't told the color story before that. Yeah. Um, even in that scene, Renera wasn't wearing black. She was wearing white for some ungodly reason. Um, they, it didn't make any sense to me. They should have had her very much in black and red throughout. They should have had Alison change her colors when she got married consistently. We've had both of them in every color under the rainbow. Not quite, but some blues and mm. bronzes and things like that. And that to me meant that the dress had to be explained instead of just being obviously like, oh, shocking. Mm. Um, so that was a little quibble. My other quibble is that when Damon went to kill his missus, Rhea Royce, played by Rachel Redford, which pleases me enormously. So many R's. So many R's. <laughs> um, it wasn't clear how the hell he killed her. <laughs> I thought, I saw it initially, I did see a screener, and not the, all the effects were complete. And I thought like his dragon was going to like stick its head down in front of the horse and that's why the horse reared and killed her. But the dragon wasn't there when I saw the show. It was just wide scene already with him standing there and then the horse rearing up just because he you mean. towards it. Didn't he kind of go for it? I mean, it just seemed That's a, a bit little, of a leap for the horse to be that dramatic. Bit, yeah, it was a trained horse, so it just seemed a bit odd. So I would have, again, it's a very minor quibble, mm. but how did, what was your plan there? What was your thinking? How did you know that the horse was going to rear fatally with this very experienced rider on its back? Bit bizarre. Anyway, mm. I have not gotten that off my chest. I feel <laughs> so much better. Thank you guys for letting me vent. <laughs> that's, that's quite all right. We're here for you, Helen. I have heard as well that that was uh, a slight deviation from the books. I think maybe he doesn't do he that in the books. or He was it's just... rumoured to have it, right, in the okay. book. It was not clear whether he had or not. And I think that's one of the things this has been doing. It has been adding and embroidering the book. And a lot of the book, I don't think this is a spoiler, a lot of the book is told from two competing perspectives. Okay, sometimes three, but uh, large sections of this era are, t are told from two competing perspectives. There's a maester who's writing the sort of official history and a court jester called Mushroom, who I think we should meet fairly soon, who was writing the sort of scandalous version. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's not being told from our the, main character's perspective. No, all. there's no first person narration in the way that we had with Game of Thrones. This is very much here is the history of Westeros written by me, a fictional maester. Yeah, it's, it's, right. it's, it's a fictional history book. Does it jump yeah. between them as it yeah. goes? It does. So it's, it's, so it's the, this it, guy weighing up the two sources. Yeah. There's three right. sources. Yeah, three there's, sources, there's three yeah. sources. Uh, that, so basically Martin's persona for writing it is this, whatever, this maester who's writing years and years later mm. who's got these three main sources from the time. Yeah. So, you so know, and, and, he, and every now and again he goes... No one's really sure what happened here, but Mushroom said this, and so-and-so mm. said that. We can discount this one's opinion that this happened because he was on the other side of Westeros at the time, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. And, and I was wondering about Mushroom. I don't <laughs> think Mushroom is going to appear. Do you not? Well, I just think that it's... it's Would it muddy it's, it a bit? Like... Well, it's the, 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 so Mushroom is a dwarf. I don't mm. think he'll be a dwarf, necessarily. You think they'll... Okay, okay. I think he will appear. I just think to, to, to then have a character who is... An irreverent presence, 
who was a dwarf. like Exactly. And then also, actually then to make them an actual jester on top of that, it's almost kind of... Yeah, whereas the thing about Tyrion was he wasn't a jester. He was yeah, actually yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, he was, one, one of the Lannisters and mm. was the Hand for a while and Master of Coin and whatever. So, you know, he was involved properly as opposed to being, you know this little guy who gets kicked around and what have you. I don't know. I'm not sure it'll... Maybe you're right. I'm not sure Mushroom will play well and I think Mushroom will be too... too too potentially like, oh, it's just Tyrion again. Mm. Um, yeah, he definitely has to be different. Unless they change yeah. him and he's yeah. not a dwarf. Yeah, yeah. But, but that, in that, you know, that double perspective or triple, as you say, perspective does mean that the showrunners have a lot of freedom to choose what actually happened that might have given rise to all these competing yeah. versions of history, which is... Which is fun. And look, there's a lot of basic facts that they can embroider. There's characters mentioned in passing that they can blow up into full-blown personalities. There's loads and loads of wiggle room. It's just, you know, the fact that this is a fake history means it is going through all of these, you know, um, decades at a time. So, Mm. hey, time jump next week. Are we all ready? (laughs) And the time jumps don't bother me, actually. They just, I'm fine with them. It's just like, you know, it's fine. Let's just get on to the next big thing that happens. It is, in fairness, it's probably part of the reason why we don't have sort of comic relief characters in the same way. It'd be very hard to align, let's say, some normal people's stories mm. to these time jumps uh, that, were ha- that are happening with this very small group at court. Mm. So, you know, again, we'll, we'll see if that, we'll see if it calms down that way later on. I think it might, I think there's going to be quite a lot happening in quite a short space of time at some point. Yeah. Yeah. You, said, you said you wanted little quibbles. I've got okay. just one very oh, yeah. small one. And actually, I've got this. It, it applies to Rings of Power as well. <gasps> it's people standing up in boats. <laughs> wow. People so, I just don't understand it. It's like when all the elves uh, go off, they're all standing up in boats. And then, and then when Galadriel leaves, she's standing up in a boat. And then, but then when you see uh, Rhaenyra leaving the, the stepstones in a boat, she's standing up. She's just standing up as the boat goes off. I mean, I've been known to stand on a boat. I, I, I've stood up on a boat. What do you mean? Well, just, it's just like, but there's, no, there's nowhere for them to sit. They're just standing there. Okay, I mean, look, I did ask for quibbles. It's my <laughs> fault. I tell well, you. Just like, so what else would she be doing if there's nowhere for her to sit? She has to well, stand. She's just, no, they have to make this. They have to put seats on the boats. <laughs> So your quibble is with the what <laughs> the, 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 design... the ship builders of Westeros? Yes. The, the... Yes. The, the, the Maybe that's why Viserys is so sick because he's having to stand up. Yeah, he's going to have to sit down. Oh, he was, yeah, he was literally sick on the boat, wasn't he? Mm. Yeah. Bad sailor. Um, just on that note, because you brought up Lord of the Rings, I do have a question here <laughs> um, from Skenty Taylor. Do you think the show is benefiting or suffering from airing when the Lord of the Rings show is coming out? I'd have preferred less overlap. Now, I don't know if you've all watched both. Mm, yeah, yeah, I'm watching both. Yeah, I would prefer less overlap. I and I and I think Dan might disagree, but I I think House of the Dragon compares unfavorably to Rings of Power. I, I am so far enjoying and more enthralled and engaged with Rings of Power. I think it's it feels uh, more expansive. Uh, the the visuals are more sort of exciting and more ambitious, um, and I think. The characters are more interesting. It's a bit warmer too. It's warmer, yeah. It has it has some like some, you know lightness and humor that, that that House of the Dragon doesn't have, and that is not to say that I think that's an unfair comparison because they are different things. Yeah. They're doing they're trying to do different things, um, and yeah, they, the the two shows kind of invited that comparison. I think it was not a um, an accident that they've come out. At the same time, I think they are 
directly competing in the networks, not necessarily the, the, the creators, but I think the networks want to have this showdown. And I think so far, uh, Rings of Power is winning. Okay. Well, the big difference is one has cocks and boobies and the other one doesn't. <laughs> yeah, they, they <laughs> feel like that. such different yeah. propositions, don't they? Yes. Like they're such at the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to fantasy. But I'm watching them both. But yesterday on our bank holiday day off, um, I had the choice to either catch up with Friday's episode of A Lot of the Rings that I hadn't got around to watching it or watch the new House of the Dragon. And I was like, I'm definitely watching House of the Dragon. For me, that would take priority. Mm-hmm. But I'm still enjoying... Rings that, of power very much. Is that fear of spoilers more in this one? You know the way some shows like are more spoiler dependent. Maybe because if if Lord of the Rings was to be even spoiled for me, I don't think I would care as much. But I'm not hugely attached to Lord of the Rings generally. I, this is me kind of getting into it more with the TV show. Um, but yeah, House of the Dragon feels like more urgent viewing. But I'm kind of enjoying. Like I say, I'm looking forward to every Monday having a new episode. Every Friday, looking forward to knowing there's a new thing for me to watch. It's helping me structure my week in terms of TV <laughs> viewing. So I'm quite, I don't mind them being out at the same time. So the real winner here is not Alison or Renera. It's weekly drops yes. of episodes. Yes, well, it's well, that's me. A, a good note on which to end. Um, we will be back with the end of the season wrap up for House of the Dragon. We will also, of course, be doing the mid season. Oh God, uh, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power next week. We also just did the mid season for She Hulk. We've got the first Andor pod coming up and we do occasionally you won't believe it but we do pod about movies here as well there will be some spoiler pods for some actual films also in your channel so do keep an eye on this channel it will be overflowing frankly Chris is looking increasingly grey and strained as a result (laughs) and we thank him for his efforts but I also thank you Dan Jolin John Nugent and Sophie Butcher thank you very much and thank all of you for listening and subscribing it really does mean a huge amount to all of us and we'll see you soon Valar Morghulis. Valar Morghulis? Sure. It's, no. Why not? What is it? Doharis. Doharis. Cheerio. Bye. 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 Bye.